This morning, we have a bit of a treat for you guys. And the, the treat is that I am not going to be up here alone. I'm not just talking about the Holy Spirit, who, who is definitely here. Um, I'm talking about Leslie Kong, who's going to be co-speaking with me. Uh, Leslie Kong uh, once addressed an incredible newspaper as Dr. Leslie Kong. Actually, Leslie, why don't you come up here? And um, Wow, that was spontaneous warmth right there. That was warm. Okay, and uh, <clears throat> I, I want to point out how significant it is to have Leslie up here with me today. Uh, because we are mutually promoting the Richmond Eye Screening. But there's a little bit of story uh, to this. Now, as you can see, our message is called a change of heart. And you have to understand that Leslie, actually, she went through a change of heart. Because seven years ago, I was a, a youth, youth pastor. And we had this idea of a youth mission to uh, West Oakland at the time. And at that time, Leslie had two boys, and they were in high school. And so there was this really compelling idea, very exciting, I thought, of, of having the youth go to the inner city, and we're going to do this, this youth mission. And so Leslie was part of the parent community that responded. And so whereas I thought this was exciting and this is new, she thought, Pastor Andrew, you are a little bit crazy, and that's dangerous. That's what she was thinking. And so... Like a really good youth pastor, I went on this campaign of communication. I was sending out emails, and I was talking to parents personally, just, just calming their fears, and, and I was praying feverishly. And, and Leslie was one of the first parents to come up to me in confidence and say, Pastor Andrew, I have to admit, when you first rolled out this idea, I was totally, 100% against it. But after your like, campaign of communication and, and praying, and I've prayed about it, I would say, honestly, today, I stand here before you, and I am 90% against it. <laughs> and then a month later, she was 50% against it. And then a month later, she was 20%, and then she sent her kids. Now, you know that when she sent her kids, that was like the final, I'm, I'm completely there. Right, And then the crazy thing is that several years later, she joined the core team that actually throws these ice cream. And she, she brought a lot of you know, her skill in administration uh, to the ice cream, and you guys have noticed. And then maybe even crazier, several years later, she's actually up here with me uh, with the message, we're doing this ice cream enrichment, and you need to come. And so, Wow. Uh, the, the message is, let's go to Richmond and have our hearts transform. And, and, and she's had a change of heart, and now she's, she's joining me and saying, we got to go. And so we're talking about having a change of heart, and Leslie embodies it. And she's living proof that our God is still transforming hearts. So just, just look at her, and she's living proof. And, and so, Leslie, do you want to... Um, Say a few words of interest. How does it feel to be up here? I mean, I just want to say good morning. And uh, I think that was more introduction than I probably need to say about myself. But I just as a note, I've been here for over 25 years at Christian Layman. And it's really nice to look out and look at you as my church family, not just as people that I need to speak in front of. So I'm just glad to be here, I think. 
with Andrew. <laughs> and you're here with family. Yes, and with family. And family is especially gracious to each other, right? Um, now, if you look in your bulletin, uh, I, I want you to look at this yellow sheet that's inside your bulletin. Would you just pull out that sheet? That sheet is what we're calling a weight training plan. You guys like that? Weight training, not W-E-I-G-H-T, but W-A-I-T, right? And because, we're, because what we're doing uh, in these past four weeks is we've been going through two chapters in Matthew, just, just consecutively going through passage, passage, passage. And these chapters talk about the return of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is coming back. And when he comes back, he is holding every individual on earth accountable. And so the, the, the big message is we need to be ready. We cannot take that lightly. We need to be ready. But it's a little bit more nuanced. So if you go into these chapters, um, there's this first part with the ten virgins. And the idea is that Jesus could come back tomorrow. So we need to live urgently today. But then you read the, 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 the next uh, passage. I'm sorry, the next passage was the ten virgins. And the message from that one is, well, you know, actually, he could take a long time. So you need to live your years with perseverance. So live today with urgency and live this year with perseverance because he could take a long time. So on the one hand, we need to live urgently. On the other hand, we need to live with perseverance. We ne never give up. We're continually moving forward. So the question is, how do you both live with urgency and perseverance? They seem to be mutually exclusive of each other. And the big idea is we need a plan. That was the big idea. We need a plan to always be growing. Now, let me ask you by, by a show of hands, okay? Don't want anyone to be modest here. How many of you can do 30 push-ups? Originally in my notes, I wrote 50, but then I was thinking no one's going to raise their hand. So I, I lowered it down to 30. How many of you, just raise it, raise it, you know, without shame, and we'll just look at you and admire your glory. Okay, <laughs> 30. Milton can do 30. Milton looks like he's packing some muscle there. I think he could. <laughs> Pastor Calvin raised his hand like five times back there. <laughs> Actually, I have no doubt that Pastor Calvin, I think he'd shake a little bit, you know, from the 29, but, but I think he could do it. Anyone else? Matthew. I, I, I bet Matthew. Matthew just got... Incredible heart. I, no problem, Matthew. Anyone else? You, you think you can do uh, 30? Mike, your, your wife is volunteering. She, she's, my man can do it. <laughs> my wife's not pointing at me. You know, that's... <laughs> now, here's the truth. The truth is almost, <laughs> because there is a limiting factor of age, almost everyone should be raising your hand. You can do 50 push-ups. I mean, 30. Even 50. But you need a plan. You need a plan. And you can get there. You start small. You can do one, right? And then tomorrow you do two, right? You build up. With a plan, you can do it. No, okay, again. How many of you can speak fluent Chinese? Raise your hand. Right? Now, if you understood that, then you must be amazing in Chinese. <laughs> okay, only a few of you raise your hands, but 
that you guys got to follow me on this. The truth is, all of you should be raising your hands because you can do it with what? A plan. A plan, that's right. What a great idea. Now, now here's the thing. You're like, okay, hold it. Jesus come back tomorrow, so I got to live this day with urgency. My top priority is to be prepared. At the same time, you could take a really, really long time. So I want to live each day with urgency, each year with perseverance. How do I do that? Well, um, with a plan. <laughs> you can do it with a plan. Now, now two weeks ago, I, I asked you guys... <clears throat> Just a very practical way of always growing. What's one thing you can let go of? And what's one thing that you can pick up? And, and after I gave that message, there was a woman that came up to me and said, uh, Pastor Andrew, some time ago, God convicted me to let go of Netflix. Because it, it was interfering with my ability to receive on Sunday mornings because I'm thinking about those movies and those images. And so I've, I've let go of Netflix. And then another person uh, told me, uh, I think it was uh, last week, they've picked up something new. They have never been baptized, and they're going to get baptized. I said, that's fantastic. We will baptize you on Easter. So if any of you have never been baptized, you can join Ellie in the baptismal pool, and we'll baptize you guys together. So what, what's one thing that you've let go, and what's one thing that you've picked up? And if you look at the left side of that yellow sheet, we're talking about new spiritual discipline. So what, have you, what are you going to let go of? And what are you going to pick up? And then last week, uh, Pastor Calvin was talking about living the kind of life where we have utilized and strategically utilized all of our God-given resources for the glory of God so that when we stand before Jesus, we can say, Jesus, all the resources you gave me, I, I, I use them for your glory. I used them completely for your glory. It was not about me and, and my selfish desires. It was all about giving you glory. <clears throat> now, uh, our last installment in this weight training plan comes, uh, again, from Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. And this is a well-known scripture, and so Leslie and I, we want to be faithful with the scripture and the themes of the scripture. But then what we want to do is we want to take it a step further and talk about what's relevant and practical to how this scripture relates to our community. So I'm going to have Leslie go ahead and read the, the whole passage all the way through. Okay. Matthew 25, 31 to 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will sit, place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will ask him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, 
Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will ask, answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Uh, when, when Leslie and I were in, in my office, we, we did a, just a straight Bible study of this, of this text. And there were, there were two questions that naturally emerged. And so when they emerged, we, we figured, well, you know, that should kind of be our table of contents for how we're going to unpack this scripture. So the first question that emerged from the text dealt with salvation. And the second question dealt with motivation. So the first salvation, second uh, with motivation. Now, if you, you know, haven't read the rest of the Bible and you just read this passage, you would get the impression that Jesus is saying that if you do enough good things, if you help enough people who are in need, then you can earn a place in heaven. Uh, you, you can be considered, that's your ticket to be a sheep, I suppose. <clears throat> now, is this true? Is, is that what Jesus is saying through this passage? Now, I was talking to my friend about this, and he was saying, you know, uh, you've brought this question into almost every um, Sunday when you've been reflecting on these past two chapters, and you're doing a pretty good job about making that clear. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to hit this question and then quickly move on. So is, is Jesus uh, saying through this parable that if you do enough good things, you'll go to heaven? No. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> um, it, it, it sounds like he's saying that, but he's not saying that. And we know that, number one, because the, the whole counsel of Scripture. The whole counsel of Scripture uh, makes it clear that we get into heaven by grace, not because you've done enough good things. And plus, plus, this is Matthew 24, 25. There's, there's been 25 chapters of movement. Where is Jesus in this narrative? In this narrative, he is going unmistakably, drawing nearer to the cross. Now, why does he need to go to the cross? Because he's doing something here. He's God's rescue plan. He's, he's paying the ransom for people's sins. And if he does not pay that ransom, then people are still in their sins, and they will never be able to be considered sheep or be able to uh, uh, enter heaven. They need that rescue, and that's why Jesus is going to the cross. So if it's not passage is not saying that you can earn heaven by good works, then what is it saying? What is it saying? And what I, what I believe it's saying is that a person, when a person encounters Jesus Christ and realizes who Jesus is and what he has done for you on the cross, your heart changes and you become a new person. And one of the definitive hallmarks of that change is you have compassion, real heart compassion for people who are in need. It's a change that happens from the inside out. You, you, you've heard the, the song. It's a very famous song, Amazing Grace. 
And maybe you've heard uh, the name, the person who um, wrote the song. His name was John Newton. And he was a slave trader. So he was the, the responsible for the transportation of thousands and thousands of slaves. And then he found Jesus and he became a Christian. But even after he became a Christian, he was still haunted by the screams of the slaves in the boat. But he, 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 he once said this, he said, I am not the man I should be. That's what he said. Even, even after years and years of serving as a pastor, he said, I'm not the man I should be. Now, I think we can, we can relate to that one. And, and then he also says, I'm not the man that I will be. But he said, I thank God Almighty that I'm not the man that I used to be. You see, when a person comes to Christ, there is a change. You become new inside. And one of the definitive hallmarks of that change is compassion for those who are in need. Okay, so that's, that's addressing the first question. Now, the second question deals with motivation, right? So what motivated these, these sheep people, right, to help the, the, the people around them in need? What was their motivation? And if we can kind of explore what their motivation is, then the, the next question is, well, then what should our motivation be? Now, you imagine, you know, Leslie and I could come up here, you know, and say, you got to go to Richmond eye screening. And you go like, why? And have you read Matthew 25? You better go or else, you know? I mean, it, you could flow that way. Is that how we're supposed to use that, you know? What should our motivation be? Well, there's one aspect in this parable that's surprising. And when you, when you unpack it, you realize it says something about their internal motivations. Now, what's surprising and, and disarms us is that the people were surprised. That the sheep people were surprised. So when Jesus says, what you did to the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. They were, really? They, they, they didn't know that. They didn't know that Jesus was, was hiding among the poor. They, they didn't know that he was going to be, that they were going to be here at this morning, moment. And he was going to reward them almost like from his personal account. Because you did it to me, so I'm rewarding you personally. And they didn't know this was going to happen. And when he says, oh, yeah, I was there, they're surprised. Like, whoa, 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 you, you're there? Really? And they're surprised that, that he's rewarding them from his personal account. So what does that mean? That means they weren't doing it for that motivation. Well, then what were their motivations for helping people who are in need? Can it be that people around them were in need? And they, they saw this brother who, who was hungry. And it's like, I got food. Here. Here. I, I don't want you to be hungry here. I mean, could it be that they saw a sister who didn't have the jacket and she was cold and trim? I got jackets here. Take my jacket. Can it be that they were at like a church and there was a stranger there? And I don't want that person to be lonely. I care about that person. I'm going to go and I'm going to talk to that person. Can it simply be that they were motivated by compassion? They, they, they felt sorry for people. They had resources that, like, I, it's not, I'm not going to be happy just holding on to these resources. I want to share. I want to give. 
Can that be the reason? Now, now, are we supposed to read this? You know, are we supposed to be like on the day of, like when, when this actually happens and Jesus says, oh yeah, I was there. Whatever you did to the poor, you did for me. Are we supposed to be like, whoa, whoa, we didn't know that. We were surprised. You know, like, like pretend to be surprised. No, of course not. There's a prominent theme in these two chapters, which is about reward. You're going to get rewarded. And Jesus wants you to know it's going to be awesome. But it doesn't seem that these people should only be driven by reward. The reward is kind of like the icing on the cake, if you will. They were driven by compassion. They had real heart compassion. And so we should be motivated for those same motivations. Now, now Leslie uh, Leslie's going to say more about this, this, uh, this heart compassion. So what Andrew is talking about is heart compassion. I have to confess to you that I'm a doer. For those of you that know me, you know that I'm more of a Martha, not a Mary. Martha was a character in the Bible who was working in the kitchen while her sister Mary chose instead to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to his teaching. I know that I can be compassionate when I have to be. And I know that I can be compassionate when I want to be. But I don't think that I'm a naturally compassionate person. I think that a lot of you might be like me in that we find it easier to be compassionate when we're going to an event and know that this is what God is calling us to do. But it's hard to be compassionate at home when your kids are fighting. We are moved by a sense of duty. When we're asked to plan something or we're going to an event, we can raise ourselves up with great empathy and great kindness. But our mindset is not perpetual compassion. Our mindset is planned compassion. We know that planning events can be compassionate. We know that um, events, planned events can be very good. But Jesus calls us to a higher standard. He calls us to heart compassion, of perpetual compassion. I think as a church, we're pretty good at planned compassion. That is compassion that is expected and planned for at certain events. But the compassion of the believers in Matthew 25 was so much more than just a single act or a single event. Their compassion was heart compassion. Their motivation seemed to be their great love for their brothers and sisters. They didn't even seem to plan to be compassionate. It was just an outpouring of their heart response. As believers, our goal is to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. Our God is a God of compassion, and he wants us to be compassionate, not just when we plan to be, but in all things and at all times. So how do we move our compassion from our calendars to compassion that flows from our hearts. It begins with prayer and inviting God to change your heart. Ask him to exchange his heart for yours and expect him to do it. The prayer can be very simple. Dear God, thank you for exchanging Jesus' life for mine. Let his heart become my heart. Help me to love others like Jesus loves me. But if you ask, be prepared for systemic change. Be prepared to think differently and to be a different person. I have been asking God to change my heart, and frankly, I'm still asking for that change. When I first began serving at the, Rich, at the West Oakland ice greetings, I asked God to prepare my heart and help me love the people of West Oakland. For the months before the event, I prayed and I asked God to change my heart. But to be honest with you, I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel like God was making my heart any different or making me more compassionate. It wasn't until we actually got to the ice greeting event that I realized that God had prepared my heart. When I got there and I saw our patients, when I talked to them, when I heard their stories, I realized that God had really softened my heart for them. 
It was also there that he began to work on my fears, my fears of interacting and just talking to people that I didn't know and who weren't like me. I got to engage with a woman who was waiting for her next eye test. And as we were standing there in the hallway, I pointed out to her one of my boys who was working at the retinal scan machine. She and then she then turned around and told me about her daughter who wanted to be a model. When we were standing there in that moment, we were no longer a volunteer and a patient. We were two moms standing in a hallway chatting about our kids. After that, I thought, wow, I didn't know I could do that. When Leslie and I were, were talking about this passage, one of, one of, again, one of the themes that emerged was this difference between planned compassion, like, yeah, I can be compassionate, you know, when I put it on my schedule, I can be, you know, versus people who are just naturally flowing with compassion. Now, I don't know, like, if we did a poll, like, even in the church, like, how many of you think that, like, Pastor Andrew is compassionate? I imagine, like, all of you would just raising your hand so high to the ceiling, you know? And then if I were to say, Raina, do you think I'm compassionate? You know, there's going to be a difference, you know what I'm saying, right? Because when I'm meeting with you in my office or I'm meeting, I'm planning on being compassionate. <clears throat> but am I naturally just the embodiment of God's compassion? And so it leads us to this question, how do I grow in just being, not, not fake compassion, but naturally compassion, just embodying the heart of Jesus? And we, we were talking about that. We're like, let's kind of base our message in answering that question. How do we grow in that? And so we thought that a live testimony would be a best way to showcase that growth. And so I asked Bruce if he would come and share you know, I, I, was, I was on a missions trip with Bruce recently, and he made the mistake of confiding in me and just, just you know, sharing openly about what's happening in his life. And I was just like, wow, that is powerful. And that's exactly what we're talking about when we talk about the transformation of the, of the human heart. And so we're going to bring up Bruce here. Can we give him a, a warm hand of, of welcome here? Hi, everybody. So as Pastor Andrew said, he um, asked me to share a bit of my, my journey toward a compassionate heart. So we have to uh, go backward in time to when I was in college years ago, actually probably more like decades, decades ago when I was in college. And I, I was very involved in um, political science. That was one of my majors. So I was very involved, very active in the political debates at that time about our government's policies toward toward the poor. And in the course of those debates, I was strongly drawn to the position, the conservative view, that our social welfare policies at that time were not uh, motivating the poor to free themselves from their situation, but actually uh, encouraging the poor to remain, to rely too much on government assistance, that they would be just forever trapped uh, in poverty because our government wasn't sending the right signals to them about how to escape from there. There was too much help. Um, the immigration experience of my, my grandparents and my great-grandparents convinced me uh, that the poor can reach success in America in spite of harsh living conditions and racial discrimination as long as they're hardworking, they're investing in education, and they're persevering. So that was the position I took. I really believed that. I looked at my 
uh, the, the experience of my um, grandparents and great-grandparents, and I was convinced that's the answer. It's not really about help, government help. That's actually hurting. So the more I embraced that view, uh, I didn't realize it at that time, but the more I embraced that view, the harder my heart became actually toward the poor. I became more judgmental of them and, and less compassionate of their situation. Uh, so I carried this view with me for some time, and we fast forward now to about 2009, and that's when Christian Name and Church was launching uh, its eye screening events. And um, when it was first announced, I have to admit, I, I, I myself was not all that enthused about the idea of, of going to West Oakland and doing it for a variety of reasons, but one, the main one being that I had this hardened view of the poor myself. Uh, so I questioned uh, whether this was yet another example of handing out services to people that should be doing more on their own to improve their conditions. And will people come to expect that we're providing this annually? Uh, I, I, I even thought, and I'm somewhat ashamed to admit it, but I'll, I'll confess it to you guys. I even thought, how many of these people can actually afford to get eye services and are just taking advantage of our generosity? So I had a very hardened look at this. Um, uh, so I didn't go the first year, but, but I went the second year, and I did, it, I did it grudgingly. I probably did it because I felt obligated to do it. Everybody else was doing it. I was part of the leadership here at the church, and so I said, I better, I better do it. I should do it, although I don't really want to do it. Uh, but I went. Um, and I have to tell you guys that, that my heart uh, was transformed by, by attending an event. So I was... Um, compassion event driven uh, but I think that was the first step toward this journey of, of change um, so each time I went and you know every year we did it I noticed that my heart for the poor uh, began to soften and I found myself having more compassion uh, for them so many of the stereotypes that I, I had built in my mind and uh, uh, were shattered were melted through conversations that I, were ha I was having with the individuals at, at the eye screening events um, I found many of these people to be genuine and without pretense. They were transparent about their lives, their struggles, um, their hopes. And I found myself, I think as, as Leslie shared, just like we're actually not that different. We're different and yet we're not. There's, there's many things that I can relate to uh, by what I was hearing them share. Um, I found other people were truly in despair. The threat of violence, of crime, uh, the lack of financial resources was causing them to wonder if they can even make it to the next week. Um, my heart broke for them because I didn't have any answers uh, for them other than to pray for their situation. Uh, for those that I met that were believers in Christ, I saw their joy in spite of the harsh conditions in which they lived, and I was really humbled, humbled by that. And then last fall, I went to... Um, Tijuana to help with um, uh, our, one of our missions there to help build a shelter. And I was exposed to poverty uh, there that I actually had not, had not seen before. Um, and so I was really struck. I was saddened by uh, the grim reality of the conditions there, the people that I saw there. Uh, and again, my heart was broken for the poor. So it's it through these experiences um, that I realized that I really shouldn't view the poor through uh, the cultural stereotypes or political debates of the day, um, but instead um, see them the way 
Christ sees them as human beings and each person, each one being precious and each one deserving dignity and security and, and community. And I think that adjustment in perspective uh, is helping to transform my heart. So I'm still a work in progress. Um, you know, sin, our sinful nature, my sinful nature will try and lead me back down that road of judgment, of limited compassion, especially when I see homeless people on my way to work or on the way home from work, um, right? That's always there. And transformation of my heart, of all of our hearts, is a continuum, continuum that will span our lives, right? We'll never quite get there all the way, but it is a process. Um, the important thing is to get started. And so um, if you haven't gone to an eye screening yet or had the opportunity to do a compassion ministry event or go to Tijuana, um, go for it. You know, to get, it's, it's, it's neat to uh, experience those things, and it's transformative. And if you do it, the Lord will meet you there and begin the transformation of your heart. Thanks. Thank you, Bruce. You know, I, I, I thought it was really important to, to bring Bruce up here just to give us a living model of the people that we're becoming. Now, you know, this, uh, the ice screen has been going on for several years. The, the three-year generosity campaign has been going on. So it kind of begs the question, what's, what's the big picture? What's the vision? And Bruce sharing is really kind of painting a picture of the vision. It's not just, oh, yeah, we're going to be compassionate as we, you know, plan to be compassionate on the calendar. And then we're going to go there for a weekend and be really, really nice and kind to people, you know. But it, it's, it's, it's moving from planned compassion, if you will, to a changed heart. Where you can't help but be compassionate in, in whatever circle, whatever mode you're in. Because your heart is becoming more and more like Jesus. And that's where we want to go as a church. Now, I think one of the first steps was, yeah, we got we to plan it. We got to put it in our schedules. And then we go there and our hearts are broken and our hearts get changed. But we're moving along that road. And we're doing a, you guys are doing a great job. And there, there's more for us to go. So the word is, let's increase our vision. From just on the calendar to having the people and the written on our hearts and and that's that's where we're moving now i was i was talking to my friend about this message and and he was saying to me can you give us more practical tips on how we can uh go through that heart change on how our, we can grow and and really embody the heart of jesus in his compassion and so we really had like four um practical points the first one Leslie already covered, which is you start just with prayer. It can be as simple as, Lord, give me your heart, and then expect God to move. I mean, expect systemic change. So the first one is prayer. The second uh, practical point for, for how to cultivate that kind of uh, you know, compassionate heart is this. You have to go and be there. You have to go and be there. <clears throat> one sure way to grow in compassion is we have to go to places 
where there are people in need. And we have to go and we have to be there and we have to meet them and shake their hand and hear their stories. And then suddenly it moves when you're there and you meet the people. It moves from being like this abstract idea to something that breaks your heart. Something that you are personally engaged in, you care about. I'll give you an example with me. For me, like, um, and I, I know this because I've, 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 uh, I've given this message before. Half of the world, like, right now, is living on less than $2 a day. I know that. I've been up here. I've talked about that. But you know what I had to do? I had to go and be there in Tijuana, and I took part in building this house and I met the family. I, I, met, I met the father with a little baby girl and, and, and the wife. I, I shook his hand. And then I built his house. And his house was no bigger than my bathroom. And I remember just, you know, building this house and thinking, how does a whole family live in this one house where the kitchen and the bedroom and the living room are all in the same room? And questions like, um, how do they have any privacy? Can they get more kids than just one? How does that work? And there was an interesting thing because it was a house, really, it was made out of plywood. And so I think we did a pretty good job, but we were banging these, like, two-inch nails from the outside. And so the nails would jut in through the wall. And then I'm, I'm, you know, I think we were done with the house, and I just kind of went in to inspect it. And so I'm kind of walking around, the, really, the shack and I'm looking at the wall, and there's these nails that are jutting into the house. Really sharp nails. And I'm thinking, who did this? It was probably Yan who did this. You know, like, who did, who did that shoddy work? No, it wasn't, but it wasn't us. It's just that the nails were longer than the wood. So what do you do? And they got this little baby girl, and she's going to be crawling around, and she might start touching, or maybe her, you know, and she's going to be touching these really sharp nails. And I was thinking, how would I feel if that were my baby girl, and this was my new house? And so you know what I started to do? Everyone's done. I'm just, I'm taking my hammer. I'm banging in the end of those nails just to kind of dull the point. And there was something that was happening to my heart when I was banging in those nails. It was remarkable. I, I actually started to care. Like if this was my family, this was my baby girl, and this was my house, I would want those nails to be banged in and and how do they live here? And, and I want to make this the best house possible for this little girl because this family is going to inherit this house. But, it, you know, it's really... A, a, something started to happen to my heart. And I don't think it could have otherwise happened unless I was there, unless I met them, unless I, I shook his hand and, and saw the house and saw the nails and, and met the little girl. There's something that happens to your heart when you're there. And so if you've never been there, the great encouragement is... You guys, we got to go. We got to go. Now, I represent a population in the world that has kind of removed themselves from other people with overt needs. I live in suburbia. So I don't have to see homeless people every day. I can drive by them, but I don't have to walk by them. And so I've, I've kind of removed myself from those people with overt needs and the word to us, especially those who live in suburbia, is, you guys, we got to go. We got to go. We got to be there. We got to meet the people. We got to hear the stories. We got to get our hearts broken. And there's nothing that beats actually being there and going directly. 
Uh, today is our last day for signups to go to Nicaragua. And I actually heard that if we don't get enough people, we might cancel the trip. You guys, this is going to be an excellent opportunity to be there, to go visit the orphanage, to go play with the kids. I mean, there's an opportunity to get your heart broken and get your heart engaged. This would be a really golden opportunity. It's going to be the first week in August. So if you guys uh, would go, that would be a great way. So it's not just, you know, oh, yeah, you know, during that week, I'm going to be very compassionate. But it's more like, no, I am going to embody the heart of Jesus, and I'm willing for my whole entire heart to be changed. So we got opportunities to go. Nicaragua, you know, um, uh, Richmond, even even Tijuana. And these are opportunities not just for planned compassion, but for heart transformation. Now I have a third tip. And the third tip is this. This is very kind of practical, simple question, and it's it's, uh, five words long. Who here is in need? Now, can you guys repeat that with me? Who here is in need? Now, it's a simple question. But I am convinced that if you walk into different circles, if you walk into different rooms, and you just remember this question, you look around, and you go, who here is in need? Like, for example, uh, after service, we're all going to go to the fellowship hall. Man, that... That hour would be so dynamic and so changed if everyone was just asking the question, you know, who here is in need? Or if you walked into work, or if you walked into, uh, you know, a family gathering and you just asked that question, who here is in need? That time would be radically transformed. And I'm so grateful that we have a God, actually, who went first and asked that very same question. Now, I want you to think about this. God is completely self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything. But metaphorically, he did ask the question, who here is in need? And then he saw us, and he saw that we were morally bankrupt. And then Jesus came down as the rescue plan on the cross. But it came from this place of asking this question, who here is in need? And we were the ones in need. And he gave up everything for us. But just imagine how your life would change if you just walked into different rooms and you're walking down the street and you're asking the question, who here is in need? It would would totally transform things. So that's the third third, uh, point. And Leslie's going to give us our fourth. So the fourth application to growing a compassion heart is simply this. Be willing to be uncomfortable. If a poll was taken of the goats... And the question was asked, why didn't you do these things? I'm sure some of them would have honestly answered, I didn't care. But I bet a lot of them would have answered something else along the lines like, I didn't have the time, or it was uncomfortable, or I was scared. True compassion means that you're willing to push through personal discomfort. It's not about me, but about my brother or sister in need. To be honest, as Bruce shared, When we first began serving at inner-city events, I went because it was what I thought Christians were supposed to do. But in the years that I've been serving and had opportunity to um, just get involved with some of these activities, I found that my attitude has shifted. Now my attitude is not, I'm supposed to do this, but I get to do this. And do you know what prompted my attitude shift? A lot of people might think it was saying yes to serving on the iScreening core team. And don't get me wrong, that was a biggie. But it really came down to something much more simple. 
It was being willing to stand in front of the food table instead of behind it. Now, let me explain. When we would serve meals at West Oakland, I would always scramble for a place behind the food line. In the food line, you got to do something tangible, and you got to feel like you interacted with the community. But the beauty of the food line was that everybody in the food line moved along. So you really didn't have to spend too much time talking to the people in front of you, and you really didn't have to extend yourself too much. Behind the food line at the food table, I was safe. Then one day at one of the breakfasts in West Oakland, everybody did the same thing. The volunteers all scrambled for a place behind the food table. And of course, either I was not paying attention or I was just too slow to move. But I got shut out from a place behind the food table. For a moment, I honestly thought about pulling mom rank on one of the youth so I could take that spot behind the table. But I didn't. I think God really wanted me to be in front of the table. In front of the table, I was serving drinks. Now, I know that doesn't sound like a big deal, but for me, it was huge. Suddenly, that barrier and safety of being behind the table was gone. I had to engage, or actually, I should say, I got to engage with the people in the neighborhood. As I was helping them carry their drinks or their food to their table, I actually got to find out what their names were, uh, ask them how long they were coming. It was something that was completely new and really, frankly, unnerving for me. But it was... On the other hand, it was really something that was great. But if I hadn't taken that chance and put myself in a position willing to be uncomfortable, it would have never happened. So my word of encouragement to you today is to take a step of faith. Come serve with us at the Richmond Eye Screenings or at any of the other compassion events offered here at church. Be willing to put yourself in a place that is uncomfortable and unfamiliar, but know that your church family and God will go with you. Try standing in front of the table. If you've never experienced the ice screening, come and serve with us. If you've been coming to the ice screening, maybe this is the year that you'll be more intentional about engaging with people in the neighborhood. Sit down and try and have a conversation with someone you may never, ever um, see again. But still, it's a way to just connect with them on a personal level. Don't come to an event just to serve at it. Come wanting to have your heart changed. Be willing to be uncomfortable and be prepared for God to work in your heart in a way that you don't expect. Uh, do, you, do you want to know a great example of being willing to be uncomfortable? Do, do you know how many times I've asked Leslie to come and join me up here? <laughs> do you know how many times she kept on saying no, right? And then uh, this last time... I don't know what it was. What I don't know what convinced her. Maybe it was the work of God, right? But she is up here. And I, I, was, tell, I was telling this to Leslie. You know, one of the strongest examples of being willing to be uncomfortable is just actually you saying yes and joining me up here. So this is, this is one of our models, right? This should actually really inspire us. And it, it does for me too. Now, here, here's a bit of review. <clears throat> when a person receives Jesus Christ... Who he is and, and what Jesus did for them on the cross, they can't help but be changed. Their, their heart changes. And one of the definitive hallmarks of that change is compassion for those who are in need. Now, as we grow in that compassion, you know, from planned compassion to a heart that just changed by the Lord Jesus Christ, here are some uh, helpful, practical ways that we can grow. Number one, we pray about it. We say, God, have your full way with my heart. And then be ready for him to have his full way with your heart. And number two, 
we will go places that we wouldn't otherwise go, and we're going to go and be there. We're going to meet people, and we're going to hear stories, and there's going to be heart transformation. It's going to move from the abstract to the personal. And then we are also going to walk into different rooms and ask the question, who here is in need? And man, that, just that question alone and me asking it is huge because then you're one step away from actually doing something about that and sharing your resource. And lastly, we are going to be willing to be uncomfortable. Let's just get over it. Some of these things are uncomfortable. We just have to kind of push through that to, to, to help genuine love from our hearts grow. And those are ways that we are growing into the likeness of Jesus, not just to be planned and being compassionate, but to be the very embodiment of the heart of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're after. So can we all uh, rise? And and I want to pray for us. Lord, I, I thank you for this journey that we've been on. This is not the first day of this journey towards being more like Jesus. And our church as a community, we've really grown. We're going places that we, we, we didn't go uh, 10 years ago. We're thinking thoughts that we didn't think 10 years ago. And I pray that you would continue to encourage us and move us forward. Help us to be the embodiment of Jesus Christ. Help us not just to plan to be like Jesus, but just to actually be like Jesus. To think the thoughts that he thinks and to feel the feelings that he feels. To have a heart just like his. Lord, I thank you for this amazing journey that you have put us on. And I thank you that we're not done. You're not done with us. Keep on doing your amazing work. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.